Somebody want to be in charge of handing these out for me? Thank you. Well, today, today we are starting our actual close look into the Gospel of John, and I'm in the wrong. Um, I'm in the wrong manuscript. Oh, it's not going to pull it up. I got it. I will. It's this one. What was that, Jerry? He's quoting chapter verse one in Greek. In Greek. I do appreciate that. How how is this not working? That's what I want to know. I wrote it on this. Where to store it? Up on the cloud. That's okay. I have I have multiple ways to skin this cat. Just gonna have to must look a little closer at my. Oh, there we go. I can do that. So let's open to John one. Today we're going to cover one, one to five. But last week I kind of want to start off by reminding you where we had been, so that you know we're going a little bit clearer. Uh, last week we discussed the overall message of John, who wrote John, how he wrote it, um, why he wrote the gospel, and why he even wrote it this way. We saw that John wrote evangelistically to Jews and Gentiles alike, right? But mostly he wrote to Christian Jews and the believers who were worried about the destruction of the temple. He's trying to prove something like Hebrews is trying to prove, which is Jesus is all that you need. Um, instead of Hebrews's, Hebrews' main message being Jesus is better, um, John is saying Jesus is the only. Um, and that's, that's a little bit different if you think about it closely. But we also thought about, um, where we looked into chapter 20, uh, verse 30 and 31, and it says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. So there are other things that he did. This is not exclusive. But these are written, these signs are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Right? So in that we see that John has a very particular purpose. He's writing so that you might have life in the name of Christ. Because what the sacrificial system rendered was death when you relied on it to propitiate your sins, to take away your sins. It was impossible to do. That's why they did it every year, right? That's why Passover feasts happened all the time. That's why they had the Feast of Tabernacles. That's why they had the Feast of... Um, oh, the other one's running past my brain right now. But there are a reason why they... What? The ingathering. The ingathering. There's a lot. There's like... There's main feasts that they did, five of them. And um, he, John's making the point that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. And he's the only way to God. He's not just a better way of God to God. He's not just an alternate way to God. He is the only way to God. And by believing in him, you may have life in his name. So last week kind of distilled the central message of John down to being Jesus the Messiah and Son of God gives eternal life to everyone who believes in him. Okay? Jesus, the Messiah, and Son of God gives eternal life to everyone who believes in him. So let's 
start our day by reading, we're going to read the whole of the prologue, so 1, 1 to 18, and I want you to hear and think about how that central message, Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, gives life to everyone who believes in him, is kind of ringing in this passage. Okay, It rings in every passage in John, but in particular, how is the prologue looking at it? That's what we're going to look at. So here it is, John 1, 1 to 18. Oh, follow along with me if you can. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, not anything made that was made was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he who I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. He being the word. Jesus has made the Father known. So I hope you heard that central message that we were talking about. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, gives eternal life to everyone who believes in him. You kind of like hear it just coming off the page in multiple places there. And there's a lot of backstory that we're going to hear about in the prologue for these next two weeks. Um, So... Uh, I just I just want to warn you ahead of time. Like some of this is going to be theological and some of it's going to be exegesis. So it's going to be looking at the text very closely, and then the other part of it's going to be theological, like not systematic theology, but it will have some of those things. If you look at your handout and you flip it over and you notice something on the back, that is a piece of systematic theology. Can you go give um uh, Lydia and even Miss Hardy when she walks in the door. And it's in English. I didn't want to confuse you with any Latin. Even though it's really easy as to non est. Uh, but anyway, so starting with the beginning, uh, this is point number two the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It's pretty plain, right? Like, I, I think if you're reading this and you go, hmm, this word thing, this word person, 
sounds like God. Because he says he was God. But for, for, for some reason, we get really, really confused and we get wrapped up in like the minutia of what it's saying. And you go to the Greek and you look at it and you're like, man, this looks really, really plain until the last phrase. And that's because we don't read Greek. Hey guys, Greek wasn't written in the word order that English was, but when you translate it, this is what you get. And the word was God. See, in his opening lines, John demonstrates one of the most profound truths that a Christian and the world needs to know. That God has created all things, and he himself has dwelt with his people. And he has given the world his testimony of himself and his power for the whole earth to praise his name. And he calls out to witness um, his power, he calls all, all to witness his power and presence, his wisdom and might, all in the person and work of Christ, the Word, the Son of God. See, John provides all of us, the readers, this grand picture of the heavenly and earthly realities that matter more than anything else. It doesn't matter how much, how clean your house is. It doesn't matter how put together you look. It doesn't matter about any of those things. It does matter that the Word was God. That He was with God and He was in the beginning. And so we're going to talk about all three of these things in order. In the beginning, was, and then with God, and the Word was God. But I think we need to know something about this Word before we go any further. The word in, in Greek is logos, or logos, depending on who you are, and how you pronounce an O, or an omicron, and the center of the word. So, L-O-G-O-S, okay? And if we think about that word, if you know anything about Greek philosophy or pagan philosophy, you know that that comes with a whole bunch of baggage. But here's the deal, John is not even touching that baggage. He's actually bringing out something from the Old Testament for us to understand that this has nothing to do with your pagan understanding of the word. If the pagan understanding of the word, logos, has anything to do with it, it's because it borrowed from the Old Testament and the understandings that are in that. So it's not the other way around where John saw, oh, this is an appropriate word, so we're going to take it. He said, no, this is the right word, but this word was from the beginning. And he defines himself. We do not define him. Pagan philosophy has no place. And it might just be borrowing on stolen capital. So I want to make sure that we understand that while it is popular, and while people will say that this Logos has so much packed into it, it does, but not the way that they think. It's all in the Old Testament. So we're going to look at how the Logos kind of plays out in the Old Testament. If you look at your outlines... I've kind of provided you some uh, various, uh, what should we call it, references. And those references all have various places where they're talking about the various aspects of Logos or um, what, what is akin to Logos, the wisdom of God, as in Proverbs. So when we talk about this, it, it is coming with um, as much uh, as force that the Old Testament can bring about the word um, and not what everything else outside of it is bringing. Does that make sense to everybody? So, what is John doing with this opening line? Before we get to the beginning was God with God. What, do you, what is he paralleling? What's this passage that he's paralleling? Does anybody know? Genesis, Genesis 1. 1. 1. In the beginning 
God created, right? In the beginning, God created, and he opens his, uh, John opens his, uh, his gospel with the same idea. In the beginning was the word. And that may or may not be really important. I'm going to contest that it. it's very important. <laughs> and so would John. Yeah, and so would John. <laughs> so, uh, but the whole point of it is, is that the same God who lived and lived and pre-existed Genesis, pre-existed creation, also is the same word that pre-existed creation. He's making a really profound statement here. This word that comes forth from God is spoken in Genesis 1-3, when God says, let there be light, and there was light, is the same word that was with him before creation. In a lot of ways, he's like, he's, he's expanding on Genesis 1-1, and one to three. So he's making something that is a profound connection here between the word and God himself, uh, particularly in Genesis 1, 1 to 3. So if you look at letter A, the beginning, we see these opening texts. We see the opening words of John, and we read that there's a very similar uh, thought here, and he calls the mind. What he's trying to call to mind is the whole beginning of the testimony of the Almighty God's presence before the beginning of time coincides with the Word's state of existence also. He's saying that the Word is pre-existent. He was in the beginning. And that God was in the beginning. See, there are people that say that the Word was created. Tell me what's a cult that would say that. Jehovah's Witnesses would say that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, right? Um, but that's not what John's saying. John's saying that he was in the beginning, and he's going to make it more clear here in a second. But in the beginning is not something that is foreign, just or just you know exclusive to Genesis one one and uh, John one one. Proverbs eight twenty two and twenty three says that wisdom was also in the beginning, right? Wisdom is speaking in Proverbs. And he says, the exercise of God, which is the exercise of God's knowledge, was also in the beginning in the same way. So the wisdom of God and the word of God are kind of like the same thing. And if you think about how Paul talks about it, all the wisdom, all the treasures and hidden wisdom are found that find themselves in Christ Jesus, right? But Proverbs 8, 23 says this, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up and at the first before the beginning of the earth. So what he's not saying, in what English does not make clear here, is that all of these terms, in the beginning, at the beginning, first of his acts of old, all these things, he's not saying that God was speaking into existence Jesus and then speaking into existence everything else. He didn't create Jesus and then create everything else. What he's saying is he existed with God. He was next to him. He was a part of him. He shares the same pre-existent nature as God himself. So we can see that the word and wisdom were both possessed and existed before the dawn of time. But Hebrews 7.3 says it even clearer, right? And he's seven, Hebrews 7.7.3 is uh, a passage, or Hebrews 7 is a passage on Melchizedek. And he says uh, that Melchizedek is, resembles the Son of God, in 7.3, and he is without mother or father or genealogy, having either beginning of days or end of life. 
So he's making a point in Hebrews that Melchizedek's priesthood is different than the Aaronic priesthood. Okay, so he's paralleling the two. Melchizedek's priesthood doesn't ever end, and it never began because we don't know where he came from. Right? Now, Melchizedek was, uh, by all accounts, and by, um, unless you believe he was a theophany of Christ, um, I'm not going to get into that. What I am going to get into is that Melchizedek, they didn't know his, who he was or where he was from. And so he takes that and he says, resembling the Son of God, who has no beginning nor end, who is the Alpha and the Omega, right? Like Revelation tells us. And so he's bringing this idea of um, that Jesus' priesthood was actually before Aaron's, and he will continue beyond Aaron's. Um, just as Melchizedek was before Aaron and beyond Aaron. But then he says in Hebrews 13, 8, even clearer, if you had any question, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. So this word in the beginning was the same word that was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can see that this possession and the existence of both the word and wisdom coincide with the author of Hebrews' understanding of Christ's person. As the whole of the scriptures highlight the pre-existence of God. God created all things. That means he had to pre-exist everything. Right? That's just pre-existence nonsense, if you're like I'm talking about. It seems like nonsense to people. Like, who gives? The problem is, if we don't have pre-existence, if God is not pre-existing everything, then his sovereignty is either tyrannical or non-existent. So hear me. If God did not pre-exist all things, he either has tyrannical sovereignty, like he's a tyrant coming in and forcibly taking possession, or he has no sovereignty at all. At all. We know the second one's not true, right? We know he is sovereign over all things. And so, without the pre-existent nature of God, the word and wisdom, then the, tyr- the tyrant, um, people seeing God as like a tyrant, as somebody who they don't want to be around, whom they do not want to worship, seems pretty plausible, right? Without pre-existence. Everybody following me? So this is a big deal, and we need to understand that the pre-existent nature of God is, in fact, the only way that we have life. In fact, he keeps going in verse 4, and he says, and the life was the light of men, right? And and he, 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 just to make sure you understand that the life has to be there, right, in order to create and sustain life. This is because the word was in the beginning. So I'm going to get through this whole verse, and then I'm going to ask for questions. So bear with me. Then in our point B, letter B, with God. You see, the word was with God. What does this word with God mean? The Greek says proston theon, holagos, proston theon. So a lot of people, holagos means the word, right? That's the subject of the sentence. And then you have proston theon. So with God, face to face, like closely identified with God, but distinct at the same time. Okay, that's kind of what's happening here. Um, Hard to really kind of wrap your head around unless you're like really thinking about like all this other stuff that you're... Uh, but here's what I want you to hear. Is that the word being with God 
is actually not foreign or is not uh, exclusive to John 1 1. Okay? Um, but the way that he talks about it is sort of new. Okay? So we don't want to be, say, like, well, John's not telling us anything new. Well, technically, he's kind of bringing the word made flesh and dwelt among us into the position of, hey, he's God, but he's a separate person of God. They share the same pre-existent nature, right? They have one nature, but they both are distinct. But they're so close together as if they are living face-to-face with one another. Not shoulder to shoulder, face-to-face with one another. It's that intimate. Okay, so this is trying to point out the fact that they are so connected and intimate that they have the same eternal presence together, and they have the same power, but they have different um, like operations, different things they do. But it's from the same uh, from the same place, from the same nature. So I'm gonna I, I am gonna talk about the Trinity here in a second. I do want to make it very very simple though, or as simple as I can. Um, when we talk about nature in person. Humans, right, have one nature and one person. If you have two persons in your, what do they call you? Schizophrenic. So we are not schizophrenic by nature, right? We have one nature, one person. God is a little bit different. He has a single nature, but presents himself in three persons, okay? Persons and nature are different when it comes to God because they subsist or exist in three persons, personas, if you will. But they all share in the one God, the nature of the one God. So they're all pre-existent. They all have the same power, authority, might, glory, all the same. But the way you see them presented in history is through Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? The Father sends the Son, He elects His people, He sends His Son to go save His people. people does, the, the Son does the work on the cross. He's the one that goes on and, and um, goes up to heaven, right, to advocate for the, before the Father, by the way. He's like talking about His Father. They, they're of the same mind, but they're actually, you know, talking um, at, to one another. And then they send the Spirit. We're going to see all this in John. Um, but when they send the Spirit, the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, right? It's Spirit of Christ, like sent of. The Spirit dwelling in us is also Christ in us. We can say that. But we can't say that the Spirit died on the cross for our sins. Or that the Father died on the cross for our sins. So when we thank God for dying on the cross for our sins, we're talking about Jesus, not the Father. And when we talk about the Spirit indwelling in us, we're not talking about the Father indwelling in us. We're talking about the Spirit himself, the Spirit sent by God, the Father to us. Why does this all matter? Because God tells us his truth in his revelation, right, about who he is. And we would honor him in saying it the way that he says it. Okay? Uh, my friend Paul, if I called you a different name on purpose, and I just, because I just don't like the name Paul, right? Is that respectful? Is that honoring? Is that loving to my friend Paul? No. 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 Vicky, Vicky knows. Right? Come on. No. I want to name you who you have been named. Right? And so God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit have names. 
And we name them according to how they have been revealed to us. And so, they all are one God. They all have three names. They have three names. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are not each other, but they are one God. Now, if you look at the very back, nice little shield there to to show you that. Um, I've kind of jumped ahead in my notes. I know that. Um, But being with God, he's bringing out this idea of there being two distinct persons in the room, as it were, pre-existing all things. But they are one in nature. Um, And we know that they are the same God, right? Because uh, in one place, you see Isaiah's words in 44, 6, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no other God, right? So there's one God. You know, Deuteronomy 6, 4 tells us, what, does anybody know it? I, Hero Israel. Israel. The Lord is one. And so he's they're making a real particular point here. There is one God. And then in the New Testament, you see him revealed in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? So three persons. One God, three persons. But not only was he with God, but he was God. Just to make sure we all understood. Right? And where the word was God is a big important point that we need to understand that this word is not some other God. He's not a God. He's not one amongst many gods. He is God. He is the one God, the true God, the almighty God. He is not what the Jehovah's Witnesses call a God. Um, and uh, I'm going to be real technical here for a second, so just bear with me. Um, he's not a God because they, they like to say, well, there's there, you know, when you look at it, it's um, Kai Theos. Okay, I'm, I'm going to read it this way. Kai Theos uh, in and Halagos. Okay, Halagos is how you find out what the Ha, that word Halagos, that's in the, uh, the, the clinching that would tell you that it's a na- the name, the subject of the sentence, the subject of the phrase. And Theos is the what we call predicate nominative. We don't read it like, and God was the word in English, because that doesn't make sense. We would say, and the word was God. Not a God, because he doesn't need, he's not the subject, right? God is not the subject. The word is the subject of the clause. So they say, well, there's no article, and so we're going to add an article. You know, the word was a God. The problem with that is that this construction in, in Greek and English are different things. You can't say God was the Word. Um, and, and from that construction, you have to say and the, the Word was God. The way that English is set up, we say subject, predicates, right? We say subject, action, you know, that kind of thing. We always say the boy threw the ball, right? We don't ever say the ball, well, we might say the ball was thrown by the boy, but that's a passive backwards sentence, we would say the boy threw the ball, right? And so it's the same way. The word was God. He's just making sure that we all understand and we're on the same page. Not only was he in the beginning, he has pre-existent nature, he was with God, and so he has a different kind of person, but he is God. Just to make clear. Just to make clear. So we've kind of already talking about the doctrine of the Trinity a little bit here, and I, I want to just kind of show you that in these points that I've made, which I've already kind of like blown on past, the, the sets of, on letter C, was God, 
Deuteronomy 6, 4, Deuteronomy 32, 39 on the first page, that is proving that there is one God. Okay? One God passages. So if you want to write that down, it'd be great. The next set of passages are that there are three persons, or different persons, if you want to be, um, there are three separate persons of God. So that's the second kind of proof text that you see there on the top of page two. And then you see John's attestation, John's proving of all these things. You know, that's what you see on the last thing. So it's John's testimony to Christ as God the Son. I'm going to leave the Trinity there. Right? Know that they are all one God. This is important. One God, three natures, one will. Okay? They act in their accordance with the one will of God. Okay? So they're all doing one thing. In salvation, you see that the Father elects, the Son does the saving, and the, the Spirit does the regenerating of His people. Okay? And that's how we kind of see clearly, clearest is in our doctrine of salvation. They're not one, one and another, but they all share the same God-ness. Are there any questions? Just a comment, really. Yes. All of that, what you just said, is shown through John. Yeah, that's what those, those that, that last... Multiple times, over and over and over again. Yeah. It's just, he hammers it home. So by the time you're done reading John, if you don't, you don't see that, if you don't, I yeah. think you're doing that on purpose. <laughs> um, I know some people that would say, well, look, this just proves that there are three gods. Yeah. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three different gods. The problem is, is that he does not resist, he, like doesn't talk that way. No. He talks from the very beginning that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and by the way, the Word was God. It means he has the same nature as God. And God can God share his nature? No, he can't be divided against himself, right? So he can't have two of the same God natures existing at once. There's this like um, theory of autonomy. Do you know what autonomy means? Self rule, one rule, right? Can there be two autonomous things in the universe? Philosophy says no, because that would be a contradiction of the word autonomy, right? So I'm, okay, I'm getting the weeds here. Um, I apologize. apologize. But that means that there cannot be two gods at the same time with equal power and glory. Okay? They have, because only one of because they would be acting upon one another in equal strength. They can't do that. There's no, they're not, uh, autonomy means there's one self rule. You think you're autonomous, right? Until you have to go to the bathroom. Right? So think about it. Everything outside of you acts on you. You are not autonomous. You are a reactive being. Right? And so God is not reactive. He is the action. He is the active being, the one active being that everything gets from life from. Right? So nothing can incur upon him. Nothing comes upon him except for uh, himself. Like there is no, there's nothing apart from him. Does that make sense, everybody? Clear as mud? Yes. May I throw Proverbs 30 verse 4? Proverbs 30 verse 4 is, is definitely should have been on that list. Okay. So I, I, that was not an exhaustive list. I didn't want to give you every single place in the Bible because we, I would have just filled up a page on Trinitarian references. But um, people say there's not a Trinity. The problem is that there is a Trinity. It's constantly ad- attested to. Uh, Muslims will say that there's Father, Son, and Mary. Three gods, tritheism. 
because Mary is spoken as to the God-bearer, Theotokos. So they, they will, they'll put her on the level of God. She has to be God to have a God, right? That's the idea, Jesus being born. I promise I won't go any further. <laughs> Last comment, the, the pre-existent thing, that's where the Mormons kind of, well, one of the ways they veer off the path, they yes. see that everybody is pre-existent, but the only way to be pre-existent is... To be God, because everybody else is created. Wait, life is given from himself to his creation. creation. Which is why they think they can become God. Yeah. Right. That's how they go back in time. Let's not talk about Mormonism. We'll have a whole class about that later. Not anytime soon. Point number three. Um, creation. Point number three, creation. He was in the beginning. This is verses two and three. Just if you didn't get it. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. Clear. In, in, in my reckoning. See, John rounds out his sandwich in the beginning, what's, what's the word, with he was in the beginning with God. Right? He rounds out his sandwich and then moves on to explain how the word pre-existed creation. So you notice he makes sure that his audience sees the difference between a god or man who was only a great in his time on earth. Think Hercules. Um, in verses 1 and 2, and he moves to describe how that word, the same word spoken in Genesis 1-3, was the means and the power that brought creation into being. So, John's not just like throwing some randomness out here when he talks. He's talking about, he's wrapping up so much into little phrases that we could spend all of our time talking about in the beginning was the word. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I would like to get to my notes and so we can move on to chapter verse 6 and the rest of the prologue next week. But we see, number one, that he is the spoken means. That's where your first set of um, verses are there. It says, uh, this is Genesis 1-3, And God said, let there be light. And God said, and, and those are all those and God said, in Genesis 1. See, he's saying all things were made through him in John 1, or yeah, John 1, 3, and God said. So the, the word that he spoke is what he's making the point to, that all things came into being through Christ Jesus. This is an essential doctrine for, our, for the church, okay? That the word of God, Jesus Christ, is the spoken revelation of God. Not only the creative means, he's the creative means for all things to be created, right? But he's also the spoken revelation, and therefore you can trust him because he has the one nature of God with him. But again, the book of Hebrews is super helpful here. Verse 1, 1 to 3, or 1 to 2 says this, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So John and Hebrews agree, right? Hebrews 11 again. Like, I can't, I can't, keep, I can't write all the, <laughs> the passages. We would be there all day. That the word, the word of God and the Son of God is the single means of creation. That that creation looks like physical creation and spiritual creation, like we were talking about last week. What is the word that, that regenerates the soul? Anybody know? I just asked a weird, really weird question. What do you have to believe to be saved? 
the gospel that Jesus Christ is the Son, the loving God, that He has taken born your sins on the cross, that you are now set free in His name to serve Him and love Him and glorify Him. See, that, that, that makes Him Lord over everything, if it's spiritual and physical, right? He is Lord, Lord of all, all creation, every man, woman, child, every animal, every atom. He is Lord of all, and therefore, deserving all glory and honor, and there is nothing besides Him. Right? He is the created means. The Word is the created means of God. This means that there is no other Word. Right? Because if God said at the beginning, and John is saying that this is the same Word in the beginning, that there is no other Word besides Him. And so follow me for a second to uh, Isaiah 45, 5-7. Go ahead and open there. Isaiah 45, 5-7. John stating in the second part of this verse, a twofold truth, that nothing can claim existence apart from his lordship. And he's speaking the truth, number one. And number two, there is not anything or any other explanation for the world's beginning. Right? There is no difference. So, in both cases, Jesus has and retains his sovereignty over all things, all that is, and has the right to extol and glorify himself with his creation. Isaiah 45, 5-7 bluntly states it. I'm going to use it because it, makes, it, it does not mince words. It says this, I, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. There is no other word. See, John is making the same uh, assertion, the same argument, that there exists no other authority or power to create or sustain as the Lord has and always will. Natural selection. Darwinianism. The Big Bang. Nothing explains creation, and nothing can hold a candle to what God has already said and done. Right? There, all those other things are aberrations, they're inventions of the will of man. But this, the Word is God, dwelt, dwelt among us, raised up in glory, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Right? This is a whole different, whole different in a lot of ways. There are, there is no other word besides him. Are there any questions about the creation statements that I've made? What was that verse? Which uh, Isaiah forty-five five to seven. Oh, can you can you give her a thing? Sorry. Any other questions? Not anything was made. That was made. Except for God was made through him. One way to put it. One way to put it. All those that was made. All right. Number three, the fourth, the, the letter four, number four, and the last point is that he is the blessing of the Father. So blessing is what you see there. Uh, to round out our morning, let's look at the final two verses that lead into the next week. So this is kind of like a off, an off-frame. Um, in him the word, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay? Really important words here. 
that life it was the light of men, and that light cannot be cannot be taken away by the darkness. In fact, it shines presently, now, actively shines in the darkness. Here we see one of our main three contrasts that we saw last week, light and dark. In this cascade of glorious like revelation, John states that the life that the word possessed was from the beginning, that he created the world with, is the light of man, and the light was not, has not and cannot be overcome by anything. If darkness, so when, and, and here's how you know that he's not getting this from just anywhere. He's not making it up. Genesis 1-3, again, Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light. What did the light do? It divided the darkness. He didn't, it didn't just light, <laughs> you know, and it just uh, hang out there. It did something. Right? It said of it, it separated light from darkness. And, and in the same way, that's what he's saying. The light that Jesus is, the word made flesh, is the light of men. It separates some, some por- portion of us. Um, like a candle in the midst of a dark cave, the life that Christ brings and presses, br- brings, presses back the darkness and brings new life in the midst of that dark. So, I think we could go through all of these little things that I've got here. Number 6, Isaiah 42, Malachi 4.2, Acts 26 and 23. What you're going to see is that this light shining is pretty normal in the Bible. This, this statement, light shines. And particularly in the blessing that Aaron is supposed to give to the people of Israel, may his face shine upon you. Right? May his face shine upon you. So, face, the face of the Lord brings blessing, and that's the point, right? Is that the blessing of the Lord is shining in the midst of the darkness. It's shining in two particular ways, in an essential manner and in the eternal manner, through the Word, made flesh, and dwelling among us, dwelt among us. So remember letter A, it is essential. From this verse that we can see that he is essentially the exclusive and animating blessing for all that believe in his name. So I'm using... I realize that it's technical. So, forgive me. I don't know how to say it any other way. Because what you have to see is that he exclusively is the way to God. Right? John makes that clear. But not just that. He's the exclusive blessing from God. Because he is the only way to the Father. Right? And he's the only one who gives life. So, for instance, John 6, 53-58 is the bread of life discourse. Okay, so... I am the bread of life. Whoever feeds on me, he will not hunger. Right? And, and later on in 58, it says this, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Will live forever. This bread, not any bread, not another bread. This bread. This bread. Jesus talking to himself, talking about himself. Feeds on this bread will live forever. So it's exclusive, right? He doesn't leave much room here. As the light shines in the darkness, it is not overcome by it. But Jesus' body and blood are the exclusive source of life. Okay? Exclusive because he's the only thing that can overcome the darkness. And he is the exclusive because his life is the only life that gives life to everything else. Think about how uh, when we eat a vegetable, uh, those of us who like vegetables, I like vegetables, um, when you, or, or meat or anything, where did that life come from? 
Did you get life because of the life that you ate? Does that make sense to anybody? You're eating meat. Okay? And that meat's giving you energy. Right? But where did that energy come from? Probably the vegetable or the other meat that he ate. Right? And just keep going down the line. It's called infinite regression. It doesn't matter. The whole point is there is a beginning of it. Right? And Jesus is the beginning of it. And he's the one who gave life to all things. The word who exclusively gives life. And he exclusively, oh, we exclusively owe our allegiance to and existence to that word. Right? But it's also animating. And I'm going to leave this right here. And as the light shines, it also animates or makes alive. Okay? It blesses you in a way that it makes you alive. What happens in regeneration? Does anybody know? A heart stone is removed from us and given us a heart of flesh. Life placed in us, right? We are made alive in Christ Jesus. There is no other way to have life. And he is saying this in, in such a, w- a way that, and he'll tease it out later in 8, 12 particularly. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, the light of life is a, is a thing, right? It's the word. It's the result of believing in Jesus, right? And it's also eternal. It's immeasurable. It's all satisfying, and it's gracious. So those are your last three sections there. Immeasurable, all satisfying, and gracious. Gracious. It's eternal in the sense that it's immeasurable. You can't, you can't exhaust him, all right? And it's all satisfying. When you feed on the bread of life, guess what happens? You are satisfied forever. Um, it's, he's not really trying to make any other point. And then it is the grace of God given to us as he prays in the garden in John 17. So what I hope you see is that when, when we talk about the word in the beginning was the word, the word was with, or the word was with God, and the word was God. What you're hearing is that this word is so inexhaustible. You can't study it long enough to understand it in its fullness. That's right. But He did give you something, and it's that trust that by believing in His name, you shall not perish but have everlasting life. Right, and so. That's the whole point of this whole opening five verses, right? Jesus is the word, that he is sovereign over all things, specifically over creation, and he is the exclusive and eternal blessing from God. If you don't see those things, uh, listen back to this, uh, <laughs> this, uh, this recording, and uh, thank you, Jared. I was like, man, it's not a TED Talk. Not a TED Talk. And uh, use your, use your uh, references on here. If you, I, I encourage you, go through these references. See how they line up and see if you can see what I'm saying um, on your own. Because if you're reading your Bibles ex- exhaustively or at least from front to back, you can't miss these things, right? You really can't. You, tr- you would have to try to miss them. So... With that, we're going to end. It's 1019. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to get going. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this day and your word and how amazing it is. How it just breathes life into us and it yet it humbles us because it is so inexhaustible. 
We cannot know it completely, Lord, but you've given us something to know, that that word, Jesus Christ, is the way to reconciliation with the Father. Lord, and forgiveness of sins is found in him alone, and that he grants life to those who believe. Lord, we love you. We thank you for these truths. We ask that you would be um, the one that is magnified, not only in this moment, but in the rest of our moments today as we gather together. Love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.